Kneel before Zod! You can't go! All the plants are gonna die! I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil! Don't touch it! The name's Pliskin. No! Welcome to a very special Vintage Video Patreon pick, where our patrons at the $100 tier are invited to request any pre-80s title they'd like for a custom review from the Vintage Video team, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today, Louis Letizia has asked us to review Mother, Jugs, and Speed, released May 26, 1976. It was written by Tom Mankiewicz, based on a story by Stephen Maines and Mankiewicz, directed by Peter Yates, and released by 20th Century Fox. Joseph Barbera of Hanna-Barbera fame had the first thought of a film about ambulance drivers and hired Stephen Maines to produce a draft before screenwriter Tom Mankiewicz was brought on for a page one rewrite. As research, he did a series of ride-alongs with ambulance driver Tom Haphazard, who I have met several times as he was a good friend of my dad's. During one of their runs, Mankiewicz was witness to a stabbing, a suicide attempt, and a heart attack, and he realized that he needed to temper the comedy with deadly serious moments. Mankiewicz was at a party at Natalie Wood's house and met director Peter Yates, who was looking for a comedy with bite as his next film. Mank rushed out to his car and came back with a draft of Mother Jugs and Speed, and the next day, Yates was attached. Fox executive Alan Ladd Jr. was quick to approve a meager production budget of $3 million, so the film went out of its way to cost exactly $2.999999 million. <laughs> Yates and Mankiewicz had their hearts set on Gene Hackman for the role of Mother, and traveled to the set of Lucky Lady in Mexico to pitch it to him. Hackman was looking to take a break, as he often is, and suggested in his place comedian Bill Cosby, who accepted the part when it was offered. Valerie Perrine was their first choice for Jugs, but the budget required the major cast to accept deferred compensation, and she was not interested in that, so Raquel Welch stepped in. Are they just visiting Superman actors? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think it's interesting that they didn't originally have and i mean unless unless there was a different character but i i feel like one of them has to be african-american yeah i do feel like it it makes more sense to to have it be a mix of people yeah. instead of just being a bunch of white faces but you know maybe the 70s were early for people even considering that kind of inclusion the production bought an abandoned pool hall in venice to serve as the ambulance company building a television adaptation was retitled Mother Jugs and Speed, with two G's and Jugs, <laughs> to avoid the okay. blatant boobs <laughs> reference, instead suggesting the nickname was a reference to the character's surname, Jugston. <laughs> Very clever. Wow. The show was not picked up, but the pilot aired as a TV movie with none of the film's cast, and actually I didn't recognize any of the names that were in there. The film also gets a shout out in another film called Relative Strangers, wherein Edward Herman is giving clues in charades and Danny DeVito keeps making premature guesses until his wife Kathy Bates tries in vain to shut him up. A movie. Mother Jugs and Speed. Is it Mother Jugs and Speed? Would you let the man get started? <laughs> like he hasn't even said how many words. <laughs> but it's funny because as soon as like they finally let him start, he says four words and he's like, God damn it. <laughs> but it's not Mother Jackson's speed. We open tight on the face of Alan Garfield as Harry Fishbein making a speech. I don't have to tell you people times are tough. You read the papers. The country's going to hell. Now you take inflation, recession, welfare. There's nothing we can do about that. But thanks to muggings, 
malnutrition, assassination and disease, we got a chance to make a buck. The camera slowly backs away to reveal he's telling his employees that they can profit off the horrors of today. Horrors of today. <laughs> Not whores. They're all standing outside of the F&B Ambulance Company building and wearing corresponding uniforms. His speech about making money off of people who need rides to hospitals is occasionally punctuated by a misfiring siren in the background, and he shouts at someone named Mother to stop messing around with it. At the time, ambulance companies were like taxi cabs owned by private companies. A lot still are. And the first ambulance on the scene got the fare, so it's all about speed and timing. He starts to mention a rival company when a Code 3 comes through the radio, and Harry tells the men to sit down and let him finish. But there's another group out there, men. And I will not dignify the Unity Ambulance Company by mentioning its name, but they want our territory, our sick, your jobs. The men barely respond to his rousing speech, and he is interrupted again by Raquel Welch, who we will come to know as Jugs, informing Harry of the Code 3, Woman in Labor. The ambulance drivers are excused to get to work, and we see Mother, played by Bill Cosby, climb behind the wheel of an ambulance, and Leroy, played by Bruce Davison, in the passenger seat. They blow a lot of red lights on their way to the call. We cut from the ambulance POV to a ladies wrestling match. One of the women is tossed from the ring and the top rope breaks loose, sending her flying into the stands. She starts gripping her chest in pain while spectators dump beer and popcorn all over her. Later, we see the woman wheeled out on a gurney. Now, I assumed that we kind of jumped back in time a little bit and this was the woman in labor that she was like wrestling oh. <laughs> pregnant and got thrown out. But we see that she's being picked up by a different paramedic from the same ambulance company, Murdoch, played by Larry Hagman. He tries to hit on her by pointing out how unattractive he usually finds lady wrestlers and she's having none of it. He keeps resting his hand on her crotch in the car, supposedly to report an injury there, and she gets him in a headlock. Hey, wait a minute! Put your hand on my coxal joint again, and I swear to God, I'll pull yours off. Okay, okay, Jesus! We cut back to Mother receiving another Code 3, this time at a bar and grill. When they arrive, it's not a bar, but a private residence, and it looks like they've made a quick stop on their way. A man appears to have OD'd on the bed, and his lady friend appears similarly intoxicated. Mother finds an open kit with needles on the floor and picks it up. They inform her that as a private service, they cannot legally collect her dead friend until he's been officially pronounced dead by the fire department. He offers to call the fire department for her, but otherwise there isn't much for them to do here. They return to their ambulance and jump on the radio. Uh, we got a DB here at East Horizon, cowboy. Uh, call a fire and the sheriff. Then we get some mysterious radio chatter. He asks for a head start before they call in the troops and she tells him that Harry says not to get caught. It sounds like he doesn't want the cops to know that he left the scene for another call, so he's asking her to wait a bit before she reports it to the fire department and the sheriff's department. But why not just delay reporting it to Jugs in the first place mm -hmm. if you need the extra time? Harry says don't get caught, mother. Harry says to play it cool. Uh, tell Harry. <coughs> mother enters the bar and is pointed to the back booths where the victim is deceased from alcohol poisoning. The cops are here finishing up paperwork. One of them, Davy, is played by L.Q. Jones, and Mother has to grease his palm to take the woman away. Davy bumps the bribe up from the regular 30 to 50. Or is it 3 to no, 5? No, 3 they, to 5. They keep saying 3 and 5. Yeah, because it's, it's it was 10% of what they get from the county. Oh, it's 10%. Okay. Yeah. That's what's going on. I, I assumed that it would be more than that because we learned that he, he says something like, I'm only going to get... 30 from but when alan garfield is giving the speech earlier he says that each person they bring in is 42 dollars or yeah. something like that yeah when mother drags his feet paying 
Davy suggests he might call Unity instead of F&B next time. We cut away to a group of women meeting for a poker night. One of them stands on a chair to unscrew a light bulb from a fixture over the table when the chair tips and she yanks the fixture down from the ceiling. Lots of debris comes down with it and we cut back across town to the OD scene and the F&B ambulance is arriving to find a Unity ambulance parked outside. Mother sends Leroy with a tire iron to handle the other ambulance. Or I don't know what he has. He has something in his hands. He's going to use it to flatten the tire, so I don't think it's a tire iron. Inside, he breaks it to the Unity guys that they were here first to collect the OD and that they are the ones who called the sheriff's office, so they have dibs on this collection. The cops scold Mother for leaving the lady junkie alone with the body. Mother recommends that he arrest the woman, but the cop says since she was left alone, she was able to ditch all evidence of any drug use. Mother kicks the bed and the heroin kit falls to the floor from underneath it with a big glob of chewing gum on the side. He hands the kit to the cop and puts the gum back in his mouth <laughs> before he is awarded the corpse by the police. One of the other paramedics, Albert, points out that they left to collect another body and it's illegal for them to double stack them. They already got another body in their rig. That's illegal. Just common sense. I mean, how can you get stiff downtown and you got two flat tires? Albert checks out the window and confirms that the F&B guys have sabotaged their car. Do you guys recall the last time we heard an EMT argue the need to arrange for a single ambulance per victim? Oh, what was that? I don't. Here's a hint. There was only one victim, but they couldn't prove that it was one victim because it was in two halves. Because uh, this is the Black Dahlia movie, yep. and I can't remember the title of it. Oh, um, the two brothers. Um, one of them is a... Is a, is a cop and a priest. And what... Do both of those people Confessions. Hear? Confessions. True confessions. True confessions. Yes. Nice. <laughs> you got there. <laughs> Across town, Larry Hagman, as Murdoch, and his partner arrive at the apartment with the poker night implosion and carry a gurney upstairs. They load the woman up who fell off the chair and broke her hip, but she's so big that they have to roll her onto the board chest down. They get the board onto the gurney with the help of three more women from the party, but the wheels aren't locked on the gurney. So as soon as they get her halfway down the stairs, the steps are buckling beneath them and the paramedic falls through them and they lose control of her. So probably shouldn't tell the story, but I'm going to. <laughs> uh, my grandmother called my father and I because uh, she had gotten a clot in her leg and she was home alone. She was living with my aunt, but my aunt was there at the time. So my dad and I had to go get her, load her into a wheelchair, and then carry her down the stairs oh of the house. Oh, my gosh. And, and I just – and and she was not a small woman. And so watching this scene was like, oh, my God. Bringing back is, terrible memories. <laughs> this is my dad and me trying to get her grand, my grandmother down the stairs. The woman rolls right down the stairs, out the front door, down the porch steps, into the street where she blows a stop sign, narrowly misses a huge truck, and crashes headfirst into the headlight of a parked car. But it's played like cartoony. Like she crashes into it and she's like, uh-huh, and like looks up at it. So it's not like supposed to be death or a concussion. It's supposed to be like goofy cartoon physics. Walker, the man who fell through the stairs, is frantically trying to climb out of them because something is biting his legs down there. We cut back to Mother's ambulance, and he criticizes his partner for smoking dope while he drinks behind the wheel. He notices a bunch of nuns coming out of a church and can't keep himself from throwing on the sirens to blast through them as they cross the street in two lines. They narrowly avoid getting hit. Apparently he does this all the time and has been warned against it. Yeah, but apparently also these nuns cross the street without checking to see if there's any traffic coming. Yeah, I feel like I would specifically look for an ambulance. Why, are, be why like, are nuns crossing the street in the middle of the night all the time anyway? Because they're trying to give Cosby a garanja. That's what's going on. It's a word that would come up on screen 
when he ran over the whole marching band in the first Grand Theft Auto. It would say, Garanja. Why? I don't know. I don't know what it means. <laughs> the next day, we see Harvey Keitel as Speed waiting in a chair beside Jug's desk. He has a meeting with Harry Fishbein. Larry Hagman's Murdoch leans in the window to ask Juggs on a date to a Cat Stevens concert, but she's not interested. Please stop calling me that, Murdoch. Oh, sorry, honey. I, I try. I really try hard. But every time I see those headlights of yours, I... Or honey either. Murdoch leaves dejected, and Mother walks through into Harry's office, not dissuaded by Juggs' warning that Harry is on the phone. Inside the office, we hear Harry is arguing with the building owner from the poker night, who is refusing to pay for his paramedic's rabies treatment, which resulted from their shitty staircase and their infestation of rats or whatever was biting rabies. him. Rabies? Oh, yeah. my God. After the call, Mother is chewed out for buzzing the nuns again. Harry is getting hassled by the Monsignor, because this keeps happening, even though he tells him to stop. While they argue, Juggs lets Mr. Moran, played by Severn Darden, into the office. He's an attorney looking for clients to represent. Harry mentions the wrestler who was tossed through the rope and a woman named Natasha Gurdon who got her hand stuck in a garbage disposal. Natasha Gurdon was actually the birth name of actress Natalie Wood. Oh. So it's a reference to their friend whose party they were at when, when Mankiewicz and Yates yeah. decided to make this movie. Mother demands a reimbursement for the body bribe last night, and he and Harry clash for a bit. Then, Mother reminds him that there's a man outside waiting to see him still. Mr. Moran has opinions already on speed. I eyeballed him on the way in. He's either a cop or a crook. Well, from what this paper says, I think he's both. Moran and Mother send Speed in to see Harry and discuss his possible rap sheet. But don't worry, Juggs, if it's rape, I'll get you a whistle. Seems like she should already have one working with Cosby, but thanks. <laughs> Speed explains he drove an ambulance for three years in Nam, and Harry is interested. Speed is partnered with Murdoch, effective immediately. By the way, my father also drove an ambulance for three years in Vietnam and worked as a consultant on this film. Did they base this character off of your dad? I think so. I think <laughs> pieces of this character are based on what my dad told them about That's his true. experience. That's probably true. Looking over the CV, Harry mentions a criminal accusation of cocaine use, but Speed categorically denies it. Speed refers to the paramedics as Florence Nightingales, and Harry warns him that he's too pretty to make jokes like that around here, especially partnered as he is with Murdoch. I mean, a nice-looking fellow like yourself, a remark like that could be misunderstood, especially by a guy like Murdoch with an all-day heat on. Which is a clear ADR replacement for all-day hard-on. Yeah, there's a couple ADR lines in here, and I was wondering if this no, was... That's from the theatrical cut. They really? Have, yeah, I, I think they wanted to tone down the language a little bit, and there's, there's not a version without those changes. Speed meets the guys in their break room, and we see Dick Butkus failing a crossword puzzle. Wolf has four letters, P-Brain. Thomas Wolf with a silent E on the end. If you've read Bambi, you're one up in this room. Juggs comes in and hands a call for a man named Klein to Mother, but Mother says he took Klein last time and hands off the call to Murdoch. Last time? What is he, a hypochondriac? Where is the grunt? It's a senior citizen to you. Murdoch eventually takes Speed on the call. The old man is motionless but alive in bed and has apparently shit himself because Speed cannot take the smell and the man's wife is furious with him for reacting to it at all. He apologizes and they carry the man to the car. I, I thought the smell was to indicate that he, he was, was dead. dead. Well, he does like reach down to take his pulse, but I, I was pretty sure... I, I think shit stink is probably worse than dead stink to an EMT. Well, sometimes they're the same. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, it could be yeah. a combo. Mm -hmm. It's a double whammy. <laughs> Gross. 
On the way to the hospital, Speed tries to comfort the man in the back, while Murdoch callously assumes in the front seat that the man's wife is probably pouring through their life insurance policy already, because dude is for sure on the way out. In fact, he dies here and now. Sometime later, Speed is still coming to terms with what a shit person his partner is, and Murdoch keeps piling it on. Twins. 13 years old, got it? So I told him, why don't you both put out for me? I'll pretend you're 26. <laughs> you got it? No, I don't get it. You're gross. Stop talking. Speed asks if Murdoch's ever slept with Jugs, and Murdoch says nobody knows where she goes at night, so it hasn't happened. I think she's a lesbian myself. Why is that? Well, this may sound a little fat-headed, but I rushed her pretty good, you know what I mean? And, uh, nada. In the F&B break room, the EMTs take bets on how many bodies they'll collect tonight. Murdoch puts his money on eight. Later, Speed stands near Jug's desk as she tries to shoot down his advances before he explains that all he needs is a W-4 and she apologizes. He tells her she makes herself very hard to talk to and leaves with the W-4. She's intrigued by this approach. In the break room again, Mother rats on Speed's charges and says he was accused of selling coke to kids. He denies it again and later says he was just <laughs> he, he, following he, orders. He, he denies selling it to kids. <laughs> yeah. I was acting on orders. From whom? Al Capone. Murdoch seems upset to have been paired with an alleged drug dealer, and they shout at each other for a moment before Speed storms out. You better not fool around with him. He knows Al Capone. Who the hell is Al Capone? <laughs> it's like, what? How do you not know who Al Capone is? You're closer to that era than I am. He's the guy from the cartoons. Yeah. Leads the crime syndicates. Syphilis. He had a lot of syphilis. Yeah, my everyone's favorite cartoon as a kid. <laughs> syphilis. Syphilis symphonies. <laughs> <laughs> We get a short, relatively useless scene to establish that in the evenings, Harry's wife, Mrs. Fishbein, takes over for Jugs. We cut to Jugs drinking wine in a booth by herself, and by chance, Speed enters the same place and offers to join her, but she's not interested. He assumes she told Mother about the allegations against him, but she corrects that Mother told her, but only to protect her. Don't be too careful working around a convicted criminal. I don't think you've been convicted of anything, just accused. I've been waiting for someone to notice the difference. Speed asks why she puts up with Mother and the guys calling her Jugs. Well, your name is Malatesta. How would you like to be called Testes? <laughs> Speed mentions Murdoch's suspicion that she's a lesbian. Murdoch couldn't get laid in a whorehouse with a hundred dollar bill sticking out of his ear. Now that's where you go after work, huh? Right on cue, Murdoch stumbles into the conversation. He drags Speed out to the ambulance to attend to a Code 3. They find a young girl at a sorority house, overdosed on pills, and a man tells them a doctor at Angels of Mercy in Brentwood is awaiting her arrival. Speed says that's too far and the girl needs her stomach pumped immediately. The man doesn't care and orders she be taken to Brentwood, since Speed is not a doctor. Speed is a person. <laughs> Murdoch lets Speed drive, and he's barely down the block when he turns back and sees something concerning. He slams on his brakes and throws open the back door to reveal Murdoch, pulling up his pants as though he were just about to rape this girl, and he was interrupted. He drags Murdoch to the driver's seat and trades places. You're not a cop anymore, you know. You have to be the poor one. Uh, well, go ahead and call one. She's in no condition to identify anybody. Mother and Leroy pull up to a burger joint and collect a meal. I feel like he was finishing, not starting. I, I feel like they were literally half a block down the street. I don't know if he could have even gotten his belt off in that amount of time. But either way, we're setting this guy up real hard as being an an indescribable monster. Mother and Leroy pull up to a burger joint and collect a meal. Mother makes Leroy pay for it. A call comes in for an addict asking to be committed, accompanied by a doctor, and they hand the call off to Rodeo and Bliss. That's Buttkiss and another EMT. 
Leroy starts talking about how much he hates this job. Amazingly, the only person he thinks benefits from his work is Harry Fishbein, who gets the money, forgetting apparently that they save people all night. <laughs> Mother points out that at least they have flexible schedules. Work whenever you want to. But where else are you going to get that? Good Hugh Schaefer? Mm-hmm. You work for them, you work strictly by the book. This is where I'm going to interject with some information I got from my dad. I talked to him today about this movie that he worked on. Part of the reason that Louis chose this film for us to watch is because we've had conversations on the Discord about the fact that my dad actually worked for a subsidiary of Schaefer Ambulance Service in exactly the neighborhoods portrayed in this film. Like, literally all the same streets, all the yeah. same intersections. This is where my dad was driving an ambulance for a long time. When production began on the film, they touched base with the local ambulance dispatch for actual EMTs to act as consultants, and my dad actually worked on the set for the duration of the film, which was like over a month time. Uh, he said it, that most of it was just like him standing on the sidelines watching them do stuff, but that once they figured out the blocking for a scene, they would bring him out and say, does this look right? Or what? Are we following the rules? Are we doing it the way that you would do it in this situation? He would offer minor corrections to match Schaefer's standard operating procedure, and then they would shoot the scene. He didn't have a chance to talk to any of the cast on set, but he recalled that Larry Hagman was using a converted motorhome as a trailer, and he was constantly drinking in it for the entire <laughs> time they were making the movie. Back to the film. Bizarrely, Mother hands back the barely-touched meal to the salesman, and Harry calls in to demand they take the addict call because everyone else is busy. Yes, Mr. Harry, we're coming right now, you son of a bitch. They arrive at the call, and Mother offers to prepare all the restraints for the patient while Leroy touches base with the doctor on scene. Mother rolls the gurney out the back of the ambulance, and Leroy knocks on the door. A woman answers with a shotgun pointed at his chest. She tells him she wants drugs, and he says that's totally cool and he'll help her out, but then he foolishly announces that they don't keep morphine or Demerol in the ambulance. Mother notices his partner's at gunpoint. Now, I wouldn't shit you, lady. We don't carry it. It's the law. Liar. Mother ducks into the cab and fires once on the woman with his own gun, sending her retreating into the house. She reloads and takes another shot at Mother and then kills herself with the third shot. So I was not expecting any of this. Yeah, it's insanely dark for what has been like a fairly slapstick comedy. I mean, there's yeah. been dead bodies in it, but this is the first time we're I seeing mean, the people we care about get hurt. I think that that is what makes this movie so great. I agree. It's the juxtaposition of the reality of what these guys mm -hmm. deal with, yeah. with how they cope with it. It's why whenever people ask me what movie most deserves a remake, I feel like it would be really great to get like a David Gordon Green or Paul Thomas Anderson touch on this kind of a story where there's funny stuff that that feels like a traditional comedy and then there's stuff that's deadly like kills you serious because this the image of him getting shot and just flying backward behind the tree yeah. in the yard is like haunting and it's it's one of the the most potent images that the film has to offer because i feel like when i think about this movie i think about the woman rolling down the stairs and i think about him getting shot and getting yanked off screen yeah. mother runs to assist leroy and we dissolve two hours later L.Q. Jones's cop character, Davey, digs a slug from Mother's gun out of the doorframe and then goes to talk to him. Mother, you know you're not supposed to carry a piece in your rig. He hands over the gun. Another cop sees this as an opportunity to strip Mother of his license by matching the bullet to the gun. I'll tell you right now, they don't match. Davey offers to drive Leroy's body himself, but Mother wants to do it. On the way back, Mother sees the nuns again and waits patiently for them to cross the road because that's what Leroy would have wanted. Yeah, I, the the relationship between mother and the sheriff yeah. is like really, really touching. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, like 
like I, I don't know if this is the scene where he does it, but there's a scene where he like Bill Cosby like caresses his face, like 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 thanking him. Yeah, I I think this is like as they're parting ways. There, he mm-hmm. like puts his hand on his back and and touches his face, just like I appreciate what you're doing, mm-hmm. but I I have to take him. And he says, "I'm going to take him home, like yeah, and take him back to our place." Back at the ambulance company, Speed is throwing darts when Murdoch reminds everybody that it's now midnight and they've collected exactly eight dBs tonight. So he wins the pot. Mother walks in looking devastated, and Butkus's partner, Bliss, makes a tasteless observation. I suppose this is a rather inopportune time to mention it, but we didn't include Leroy. That makes nine bodies. No one drew nine. Hey, wait a minute. Leroy doesn't count, for Christ's sake. He's, uh... Murdoch realizes just what a monster he's being and offers to split the pot with Mother and then gives up all the cash, like he obviously should have done without saying anything. But the damage is done and Mother knocks him hard out of the chair and then picks up another chair to clobber him with. The rest of the guys eventually break up the fight and we cut to another company-wide lecture from Mr. Fishbein about keeping the business afloat. Mother wants to drive alone because if he gets paired up with a newbie driver, they would get put on worthless calls and get less money. One man the rig is illegal. Everything about this place is illegal. Juggs enters with some paperwork in her hands, and Harry basically shouts her into silence. When everyone else has left the room, she explains that she's taken all the qualifying courses to drive an ambulance with the rest of the team, and he says no, because she's a woman. He says it in a much more misogynist way. He goes on for a while, but he's just saying, you're a woman, you can't drive. He suggests she apply at their rival company, Unity, but offers to frame her certification on the wall if she promises to just go back to work, and she flips him off. Mr. Fishbein... Frame that. She storms out into the lot and steals one of the ambulances, not realizing Speed is sleeping in the back of it. She throws on the sirens and races down the road until suddenly she's being pulled over and she wraps herself in the EMT jacket from the front seat. Turns out the cops are here offering an escort because they can see she's alone. She radios Mrs. Fishbein at dispatch in search of a fake customer to respond to and claims there's a book of phony names under the desk, but Mrs. Fishbein refuses to believe her husband would engage in fraud. Speed surprises her from the back seat to tell her that the cops for sure have more gas than she does, so she'll have to lose them. I don't quite understand this part. The part about the fake names? No. Well, yes, that too. She wants to go somewhere. I don't don't know exactly what the fake names are. I think they have people who cooperate with them and make calls on purpose so that they can get more money by bringing them to the hospital. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, But the cops, like, offer to help her. And I know she starts driving away erratically. Um, but so they, they get real weird. But I don't understand how they were going to follow her and help her in any way because they don't know where she's going. And the only right. way a police escort helps is by clearing the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think their intention was to help when she got there. Oh, with, okay. With crowd control or whatever was going on at I the see. scene. Sure. Juggs finally ditches her tail behind some passing cars at an intersection, but they find her again behind an apartment complex. The cops step out of their car to ask what the hell her crazy driving was all about, and she gestures to a man in bandages coming out of the building toward the ambulance. It's Speed, having dressed himself as a patient in that brief moment they were out of sight of the police. The cops seem to buy this excuse, and she asks them to move their car so she can get back out on the street toward the hospital. When the cops have left again, Juggs and Speed celebrate with a kiss. I've decided that you're either someone very special or a very talented liar. I'm a terribly special liar. Later, we see that Juggs and Speed have had sex in the back of the ambulance parked at the beach, and a call comes in from Harry on the radio. Okay, Jennifer, now look, I can take a joke as well as the next guy, but if you don't return that rig PDQ, there's going to be some criminal charges involved around here. This is gross. People die and poop in the back of this car constantly, and you just fucked in it. That's weird. Mm-hmm. 
We cut to Mother's Ambulance, and he's driving with a new guy now. He gets a call on his backup radio about a Code 3. Turns out his backup radio is intercepting transmissions by the rival dispatcher at Unity Ambulance Company. He decides to steal their fare. It's like when Tom Green was delivering pizzas to people's houses right as right. the pizza guy pulled up. And he just dumped a tackle box full of toppings. What did you order? What did you order? The Code 3 is at a golf course, and Mother drives directly across the grass to respond as quickly as possible. They find the collapsed patient in a sand trap and roll him up onto a gurney. Do you remember the last time we drove onto a golf course? Drove onto a golf course. Put that steering wheel back on the other side where it belongs. That was Caddyshack then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that of course it would be Caddyshack, but I was just like, there's got to be something else where someone <laughs> drove on it. Well, I was trying to think if they did that in Hollywood Nights. I, no, nah, I don't remember. But that I, I, I remember they did a lot of weird driving stuff, but I don't yeah. remember a golf course. But you're course. right. That is one where they, they were specifically flipping out that he had driven at, yeah. out onto the grass. Just then, the Unity car arrives and skids up beside them. Uh, thanks a lot, Albert. We got him. Albert gets his revenge here, though, because once the patient is ready to move, he gives Mother a taste of his own medicine. But face it, even though you got the baddest rig in town, how you gonna get this dude downtown on two flat tires? No, you didn't. You must have run over a couple of them new steel tees. Huh? No, you didn't. Juggs enters Fishbine's office as he wraps up a call with Unity, threatening to sue over the flat tires. He tells Juggs he'll sue her too for stealing his car, and she says she's already spoken with Mr. Moran about a discrimination suit since he won't let her drive and she's 100% qualified. I do like in this moment, because Mother's standing behind him on the phone and he's like, you slashed those tires. Like, they didn't slash them. Like, and he yeah, says, just it, let o- the air out. He says yeah. it over and over again because he's just like, like he's in reality, he's buddies with the unit yeah. you guys. And also Harry knows this, but he just wants to get money out of this other guy because he even says at the end, he's like, I know what they did to the tire. Like after he hung up, He's just like, it doesn't matter. If I can say this in court, then we get free tires out of it. Harry reminds Juggs that she'd have to live and eat with all the other drivers, and she's ready to. Mother is nothing but encouraging, for now. He suggests pairing Juggs with Speed, which seems counterintuitive because that would put Murdoch in Mother's unit, and there's no way he wants that. Juggs proposes she could ride with Mother, and suddenly his support for her dissolves. We cut right to Mother, Juggs, and Speed sharing a unit. Juggs is in the back, I guess as a ride-along to learn the ropes. The first call they respond to is an elderly gentleman who somehow got the beans above the franks. <laughs> That's my note. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning he zipped up his dong. How'd you get the beans above the frank? <laughs> Mother puts jugs on unzipping duty. Now don't excite a man. That thing swells up. Those zipper marks are going to look like a set of tire tracks. We cut to Mother getting a massage from a woman in a bikini. There's actually multiple girls in the room, and one of them asks for a hit of something. He offers a syringe of B12 and stabs it into her butt. But no funny stuff this time, okay? Honey, you can't tell which one is the needle by now. The implication being that, at some time in the past, Bill Cosby, of all people, might have given a woman a drug she didn't ask for so that he could take advantage of her sexually. What a ludicrous suggestion. <laughs> Mrs. Fishbine calls the unit driven by Jugs and Speed to report a code 3 at a local market, another woman giving birth. They abandon Mother at a massage parlor to answer the call. We cut right to them loading the pregnant woman into the ambulance. When they get her to the hospital, a doctor claims they can't handle the woman here and suggests they take her to the county facility even as she starts giving birth. The doctor is stubborn, so they return to the car to try for county. They are still five or six minutes away when the baby begins crowning and they pull over to deliver it in the ambulance. The baby is born and the mother is very grateful for their help, but she begins hemorrhaging. Try as she might, Jugs cannot stem the bleeding and soon they have lost the mother. 
Speed is speechless while Jugs and the baby cry. Later, we see Speed and Jugs in an apartment, still recovering from last night's trauma, when Mother comes through, inviting them to a meeting at City Hall to present a show of force for Mr. Fishbein. Speed heads out to get coffee for the trio, and when he's gone, Mother makes a crack about Jugs jumping into bed with him. She begins sobbing as she retells the events of the previous night. Mother assures her that a hemorrhaging like the one that killed that mother is impossible to prevent. Not even the doctors at the hospital could have kept her alive. He advises her to think about the child she saved and not the doomed woman. The F&B Ambulance Company and Unity Ambulance Company are brought together before City Hall. Unity is commended for their hiring of minority drivers, at which point Fishbein tries to take credit for hiring a woman driver, even though he fought tooth and nail against it. Mother explains the exchange rates for women to other minorities. I feel that she's worth uh, four blacks, uh, the future draft rights to three Chicanos, and a Chinaman to be named later, sir. (laughs) (laughs) The purpose of this meeting is that one of these two companies will be chosen for an officially binding contract with the city, and the offer is all but made to Unity, but the councilman leading the announcement points out that neither company has the facilities to honor a city contract. The owner of Unity proposes a merger. Aside from some disagreement over what it should be called, the merger seems acceptable to all parties except Fishbein. Right on cue, a call comes in for the address of F&B Ambulance Company on Rose Avenue, and everyone leaps to action. Speed radios Miss Fishbein to find out what's going on, and she's just crying on the other end of the radio. Murdoch is there looking haggard, and takes over the radio to ask where everyone went. He is thoroughly intoxicated, and tells a story about a friend who lost his pants and for some reason needs an ambulance. He brought the man to F&B, but nobody's there, and Unity isn't answering their phones either. I imagine there's a lot of people dying all over town while both of these ambulance companies had a big meeting. Murdoch takes out a gun, and Mrs. Fishbein tries to talk him out of suicide, but he points the gun at her. Over the radio, they hear her screaming and a gunshot before it cuts out. Which is already like, god damn, this movie's getting so dark. Mm -hmm. The camera cuts back to F&B and the aftermath. How can I do it? How can I do it? (laughs) He tells Mrs. Fishbein she's actually quite attractive and he never noticed it before. Thank you, Dick. My name is John. And I wanted her to say, yeah, I know, Dick. (laughs) (laughs) When all the units arrive outside the building, Murdoch starts firing on them indiscriminately with his gun, even though Mother didn't think he had it in him. Speed pops out of the car and runs for cover, but takes a bullet through the collarbone. Not through the bone, but through through the skin part. In and out. They all hide behind another parked car in the lot. The police arrive to take over the situation and make a plan to enter through the back to draw fire. Butkus and LQ Jones have their first interaction and realize they're both from Texas. Hey, you from Texas? Lubbock, born and bred. No shit, I'm from Amarillo. Is that right? Yeah. Harry notices smoke rising from the building and is suddenly paranoid that his business will go up in flames. Harry, aren't you forgetting something? What? Oh, your wife's in there. Oh my God, peaches! Peaches, get in there, baby! Stamp out those flames! <laughs> it's such a great line. That's like, honestly, that's my favorite line of this whole movie. <laughs> that is, this is such the perfect thing for this character to say. Uh, I like the line of uh, Mother telling the sheriff, let's let's have you, me, and your deputy head towards that other ambulance so when he gets shot, he's close to a vehicle. <laughs> there you go. Mother sneaks into an ambulance to get his magnum back, but Murdoch catches him opening the door. He tries to shoot Mother, but his gun is empty, and one of the cops opens fire, killing Murdoch from behind. This this is a weird moment. Yeah. Because Hagman's got the gun pointing it, and, and he goes, oh, bang. Like, like... I fucked up. Yep, and then just is immediately shot to death. Yeah. 
SWAT shows up seconds late and are disappointed to see the sheriff's department has it handled. Sometime later, Speed has apparently been reinstated with the police department. We see the two ambulance companies have merged for a probationary contract with the city. Juggs is upset to be back behind the dispatch desk, while Mrs. Fishbein recovers from her trauma in the hospital. Speed tells her to quit her job. He gives her a key to his place and tells her what he likes for dinner and where she can take his laundry. <laughs> I feel like, does he know what's about to happen? And, it, and this is a joke to be like, guess what? This is what you get to do now. You're a secretary at work and you're going to do all these things for me. I, yeah, I found this line a little confusing. Because, because he's it, been the most respectful person he's been so not, not only the most respectful, but the most progressive yeah. of all of them um, throughout the movie. Uh, so it's a very weird turn him to act this way but they don't really give it a clear indication that he's joking right but there there's like a minor punchline on it so i do feel like he had some idea that she would still be working as a driver okay. and so he said this stuff to like set her up like oh no what a what a terrible situation you're in let me make it a little bit worse before you find out mm -hmm. that things are things are better than you think outside albert is painting the new company name on another car and all he has so far is f and u Mother likes it like that. He's like, just, I, I think that's done. We'll just leave it as F U on the side of my car. Albert offers to partner with Mother, but he says he already has a partner and points to Jugs. Now that she's back in the position she wants, Speed asks what she wants prepared for dinner. How do you like your lamb chops? So he doesn't actually ask her what she wants, just how she would like the thing that he <laughs> wants. Back on the road, Mother and Jugs drive along, and she tells him all the things he'll have to change about his job performance if they're going to be partners. He asks if she's religious before taking one last opportunity to buzz the nuns before we iris to black and the credits roll. The end. It's a great movie. I yeah. really like it. I mean, I like most Peter Yates movies, yeah. but I I don't I don't know why they had the plot line of Speed getting his job back. You think I or at least like he would have gotten his job back, but he would have stayed. Well, I, I do think he would make more as a detective than as an ambulance driver. Yeah, but but I, I feel like the whole point is that he's found like a new family. Well, but yeah. and, and he's giving up his spot in order to let Jugs mm, you know, take the, the position, right? But he's also getting, he got his name officially cleared, which I mm. think was important to him too. But, and he'll still interact with these people. I mean, detectives are on scene with these EMTs right. all the time. So it's not like it's the end of the world. They're in the same city. But yeah. I think Harvey Keitel's really quiet and sustained throughout, but that it, it works for the character because oh, yeah. he's supposed to be this introverted kind of I, odd guy. I mean, Harvey Keitel is kind of a weirdo in 99% of yeah. things, but he's totes adorbs here. Yeah, he's he's it's a very muted Keitel, but um, it still feels true to the character that they're setting up. Yeah. And he reminds me of my dad, <laughs> the way that he plays this character, <laughs> yeah. that he's a very straightforward guy, but kind that he's soft-spoken mellow and, and tries and... to avoid drama where he can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I liked this film. Uh, again, not what, I not what I expected. I Just from the title, what I thought Mother, Jugs, and Speed, I've always heard this title. Yeah. But I thought it was like a Cannonball Run. Oh. Yeah, it makes it seem very movie. corny. I think yeah. Valerie Perrine wouldn't have helped that reputation either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because, I mean, she basically plays Jugs in Cannonball Run. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, I she's think, like the cop with boobs. I think it was kind of intentional to do that, though. It's yeah. like draw draw people in with this uh, absurd comedy title mm -hmm. and then yeah. hit them with the hard stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, shotgun blast to the gut. Yeah. So this was the first watch for you, Richard? Yeah. Yeah, okay. first watch for me. Yeah. I mean, I'd seen it before and I, I liked it before and I liked it now. Yeah, that's great. Our director here was Peter Yates. Before this, he directed Bullet, The Hot Rock, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, and he follows this up with The Deep, Breaking Away, and Crawl. Yeah. 
We have a story and writing credit for Tom Mankiewicz, who previously wrote Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, which we just covered on the show, and Man with the Golden Gun for the Bonds. He also wrote Superman and Superman 2, which is why we had so many Superman actors they were going mm-hmm. after for the parts. Lady Hawk, Hot Pursuit, Dragnet. I think Dragnet was the last like major one that he wrote right. the script for. Um, story credit for Stephen Maines. This was his only film credit. Uh, oh, I should also mention for Mankiewicz that he's related to Mank of mm-hmm. the film Mank. He is the son of, of Herman Mankiewicz, right, that wrote Citizen Kane. Uh, I thought he nephew nephew because there's there is a nephew and a son that are both right because I, I feel like when I looked him up hang on and doesn't Mankiewicz didn't he sort of take over the TCM hosting duties for Robert Osborne uh, but that's the younger that's the other Mankiewicz yeah it's the other one cinematographer Ralph Woolsey he started with a lot of television and then the strawberry statement little Foss and big Halsey deadhead miles and 99 and 44 100% dead after this, he lights Lifeguard, The Great Santini, and so far on the show, The Last Married Couple in America, and Oh God, Book Two, which I think were both directed by Gilbert Cates. Uh, the editor here is Frank P. Keller, who edited a Terminator precursor called Cyborg 2087 that I recently covered with Ian Graham for a Terminator-themed episode of the Cult Connections podcast. Be sure and check that out. He also edited Bullet and The Hot Rock for Yates. Bill Cosby played Mother. He was Alexander Scott in 82 episodes of I Spy. He was Dr. Huxtable in 197 episodes of The Cosby Show, which is weird because his character's not named Cosby on the show. Right. But the show's called The Cosby Show. The first credit I always think of is Ghost Dad. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> the why. The first credit? That's not, the first one I think of. Not The Cosbys. I've seen Ghost Dad more than I've seen. If you add it up every time I watched an episode of The Cosby Show, it doesn't equal the number of times that I've watched Ghost Dad. Not Leonard Part 6? No. That's weird. I, I felt like I couldn't start so late in the series. He was also in three seasons of prison for aggravated indecent assault after drugging and raping a number of women. But the conviction was vacated in 2021 and he was released because prosecutors fucked up the case. By the way, his name in the film is mentioned a couple times as Tucker, which explains the nickname Mother. Oh. His last name is Tucker, so people called him Mother Tucker or Mother for short. That makes more sense. I thought that they were like sarcastically calling him mother because he's so darn caring. Yeah. Raquel Welch played Jugs. She's Fuzzy Britches in One Million Years B.C. Lillian Lust in the original Bedazzled. She was Myra Breckenridge in Myra Breckenridge. Also Fuzz, Bluebeard, The Last of Sheila, The Three Musketeers. She only just passed away in February of this year and her last film credit was for a movie I ran the dailies on called How to Be a Latin Lover which is actually a super underappreciated comedy directed by Ken Marino. Oh. Yeah, good stuff. Harvey Keitel played Speed. He got his film start in a lot of Scorsese stuff, Mean Streets, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Taxi Driver. After this, he shows up in Apocalypse Now. We've seen him so far in Saturn 3 and Bad Timing. Later, he shows up as Judas in The Last Temptation of Christ. He's in The Two Jakes, Thelma and Louise. I think he's one of The Two Jakes, right? Isn't he one of The Jakes in The Two Jakes? I've actually never seen the Oh, okay. Uh, Thelma and Louise, Reservoir Dogs, Bad Lieutenant, Pulp Fiction, From Dusk Till Dawn, U571, Little Nicky, Inglorious Bastards, Moonrise Kingdom, and more recently Scorsese's Irishman film. Alan Garfield played Harry Fishbein. He is in Busting the Conversation, Nashville. After this, we've seen him so far in The Stuntman, One Trick Pony, and Continental Divide. And he passed away in April 7th of 2020, so I think we mentioned that right after it happened on the show. Larry Hagman played Murdoch. Mankiewicz said Hagman would regularly show up in costumes from other jobs he was working. So, like, 
an astronaut or like a war general and it's like what are you doing why do you look like this and it's just like i didn't change he was jr on 356 episodes of dallas major nelson in 139 i dream of genies he directed blob sequel beware the blob he's a major in superman and he's in sob nixon and he came back as jr for 17 more episodes of dallas in 2012 and then passed away shortly thereafter i don't think he even lived to see them air i think he died before those episodes went on lq jones played davy we just lost him about a year ago he was taggart in the ballad of cable hogue he's pat webb in casino three-fingered jack in the mask of zorro that's usually the first thing i think of yeah bruce davison played leroy we've seen him so far as dan and high risk later he's mr ruby in spies like us and he's probably best known to my generation as senator kelly in the x-men movies who's trying to get all the mutants registered most recently he's been senator schaefer on ozark but in X-Men, he's the one who's, like, trying to get out of the ocean and he's melting into the sand. Right. And they, then they made him a mutant. And then Mystique pretends to be him. Right, yeah. So he also played Mystique yeah. in those films. Dick Butkus played Rodeo. This was his first film. He played for almost a decade with the Chicago Bears. He's also Arthur in Johnny Dangerously, recurring sidekick Earl Dent in three episodes of MacGyver, and he plays himself in Gremlins 2. Valerie Curtin played Naomi Fishbine. She is a cousin of Jane Curtin, who we mentioned before on the show after she took over the role of Judy Burnley from Jane Fonda in the 9 to 5 series, the TV series. She also wrote the screenplay for Inside Moves and later Toys. Mm. She wrote the screenplays for those movies, Mrs. Fishbine. Nice. Yeah, uh, she was she was married to Barry Levinson. Right, and they wrote together. Yeah, they wrote together, and um, although she gets a credit for Toys, they were divorced at that time. Oh, interesting. But... Barry Levinson had been tr- was trying to make toys for a long so time. So it was in development for like a decade. Yeah. Severn Darden played Moran, Mr. Moran, the attorney. He was Cecil and They Shoot Horses, Don't They? He was Culp in Conquest of and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. We've seen him so far as Jehovah in Vanishing Point and later in Small Circle of Friends, Hopscotch in God We Trust and Saturday the 14th. Later he shows up in Back to School. Bill Henderson plays Charles Taylor. That's the owner of the Unity Ambulance Company. He was Blue Lewis in Inside Moves. He was the train conductor in Continental Divide who just kept letting them go for one more stop. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's in Fletch. He's in Clue. He's the policeman in Clue. Uh, He's in a MacGyver episode where he uh, gets mad at MacGyver for littering at his gas station and sells him a tire. He's in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, City Slickers, and Lethal Weapon 4 where he is trying to collect a urine sample and then they take oh, it away from him yeah. and smash it so right, that right, right. Uh, Mel Gibson and Rene Russo can get married at the end. Michael McMahon has played Walker. He was Ben Tuthill in Poltergeist and he also has a producer credit on Hot Shots Part Due and Mafia. Tony Basil played Addict and I think that's the woman with the shotgun. She and Welch had appeared together previously in Myra Breckenridge, but before this, she was also an easy writer, and so far on the show, we saw her in Five Easy Pieces. She was the really grumpy hitchhiker that they picked up that really took a liking to Jack Nicholson because mm. he was also mean, and he picked on that waitress. Are you sure it wasn't the one sitting on the floor? No. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, there's two drug addicts yeah, in this but, film. But, but Tony Basil is this one, and she's probably most famous for her hit single, Mickey. Erica Hagen played massage girl Marsha. We saw her last as a furniture girl in Soylent Green, so same kind of role. Arnold Williams played Albert. We just saw him as a cab driver in Live and Let Die. He's also in Hot Rock, King of Marvin Gardens, Scream Blackula Scream, and Inside Moves. Tim Reed played a Unity Dispatcher. He had long-running appearances on Simon & Simon, WKRP in Cincinnati, and Sister Sister, like 
over 100 episodes each. Mark L. Taylor was Doctor Who Refuses to Take Pregnant Woman. This was his first film. After this, he shows up in Marathon Man, Damnation Alley. We've seen him so far in Serial, Raise the Titanic, Any Which Way You Can. And he does a lot of cartoon voices on shows like The Smurfs, DuckTales, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, Aladdin, The Mask, Pinky and the Brain. And most recently, he was Farmer McGinty on Disney Plus's Rocketeer cartoon. Did you ever see any of that? The ro- it was more of a kids show but it was like a follow-up to the rocketeer right? yeah, it was supposed yeah. to be in the same universe but right with a new character and yeah but, a but, but childish but yeah, yeah yeah it was designed for younger much yeah. younger audience it looked like paw patrol kind of <laughs> sorry i'm just imagining the disney executive that's like you know what really young toddlers love the, the rocketeer, rocketeer. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like let's make it like a sequel and it's like so it would take place in what the 50s <laughs> the 60s because <laughs> the original took place in like the 20s right when does the Rocketeer take place? Um, it's or no, it's the forties. It's the for, yeah, because Howard Hughes is right, yeah. is, and it's World War Two and Nazis and shit. <laughs> but it's before the U.S. entered the war, right? Because some of us were like, "Yeah, I haven't picked a team yet." It's like, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you, America? I think that's everything for Mother Jugs and Speed. Thanks again to Louis Letizia for their generous contribution to the show. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintage video pod. We leave you now with the trailer for Mother Jugs and Speed. I don't have to tell you people times are tough. You read the papers. The country's going to hell. Now you take inflation, recession, welfare. There's nothing we can do about that. But thanks to muggings, malnutrition, assassination and disease, we got a chance to make a buck. Attention, ladies and gentlemen. We have an urgent code three from 20th Century Fox. Be on the lookout for Bill Cosby, Raquel Welch, and Harvey Keitel in Mother, Jugs, and Speed. An outrageous, hilarious, and sometimes alarming film. Oh my God. That pays tribute to America's unsung heroes, the ambulance drivers. Those courageous and compassionate men and women who spend their days and nights driving sick people to the doctor. Driving hurt people to the hospital. And driving each other crazy. Bill Cosby is mother, the best driver in the business. Uh, I'm the Brown Hornet. This is my swarthy Filipino sidekick, Kato. Raquel Welch is Jugs. Stop calling me Jugs. A girl with tremendous ambitions. It took me months to complete these courses. I'm just as qualified as any man. All we got to do is hire a woman driver, put her behind the wheel, and most people would rather bleed to death right there in the street. Harvey Keitel is Speed. They don't call me Speed for nothing. Well, let's hope they don't call you Speed for everything. You might call this a comedy. You got a hell of a sense of humor. You might call it a drama. Just relax, everyone. Or you could call it a love story. But no matter what you call it, we call it Mother, Jugs, and Speed 10-4.